You're listening to the Surf Simply podcast, bringing you news and opinion about surf culture, characters, coaching and competition from the team at the Surf Simply Coaching Resort. Find us on facebook.com slash surfing or at surfsimply.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 12 of the Surf Simply podcast. We're recording on Wednesday, April 29th, 2015. My name's Harry Knight, and with me today is Rue Hill. Hello, everyone. And Jessica Carnes. Hello, everybody. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. I'm really happy to be back in Nosara. Yeah, how was New York? It was really cool. I've never been there before. Have you guys been to New York? Yeah. I have. I've spent all of 72 hours in New York. There is a lot of people and buildings there. There are. It's a very different vibe to the jungle here in Nosara. It is. Um, the concrete jungle, you could almost say. <laughs> <laughs> you, you could say that. Uh, I, actually, I wanted to thank the guys at uh, Google, at Peer Anderson at Google. Thank you very much for hosting me and inviting me and, and uh, showing me around and taking care of me. It was really, really cool. I, they're just sort of starting a little surf club there at the New York office and I went and spoke to some of those guys and then there was some guys from some other offices around the world Singapore and some guys from California on sort of TV monitors and I was chatting with them a little bit about uh, it was actually it was based on the judging intro to judging talk that we do here and mm-hmm. it was about how you look at surfing and uh, judge it objectively you know rather than subjectively and the idea being that when you can do that you can start to then look at your own surfing and judge that objectively and and therefore kind of start progressing a little bit more mm-hmm. so that was really cool and they all seemed to enjoy it Went out to a couple of uh, cool bars and restaurants and ate a lot of food, which was awesome. Actually, you guys remember James Ranson came to stay at the resort a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Mm -hmm. And for listeners who don't know, James Ranson is the guy who played Ziggy in The Wire and he was in... uh, Generation Kill as well, yeah. but it was, it was really cool. He suggested a few cool places to go and hang out. So, uh, so yeah, thanks, thanks to him as well. He was a really good surfer too. He was a good surfer. Yeah. What have cool. you been up to, Jesse? I have been up to a lot, or it feels like a lot. I've been pretty busy surfing. Went out this morning, had a good time. I've been horseback riding a lot. Found a new trail in Guiones. And um, I just wrapped up my first semester of exercise physiology, and I just finished that course. I'm ready for my summer semester. Is finding a new trail on a horse <laughs> a bit like finding a new surf spot? It totally is, yes. It's and and are you, are, do you, if you find a good trail, are people then like, where'd you go this morning? And you're like, oh, just this, this place in the jungle, you know? Yeah. You, and you don't need to know about it. You don't it. need to know where it is. It's a secret. Yeah. <laughs> and then do other people post pictures of the trail on Facebook, and you write them messages going, take the picture down. Yeah. No, no, I totally was like, I'm going to bring my GoPro. Place unknown. (laughs) What about you, Harry? What have you been up to? Yeah, I've had a good week, actually. Been playing around and doing the coaching, obviously. I watched The Fisherman's Son, the movie on Raymond Navarro, the big wave surfer from Chile. And uh, that was being streamed on Swellnet at the time. It's now actually being streamed on Surfer Magazine at the moment um, to coincide with the big wave event uh, that's going to take place tomorrow in fact so uh, quite a few people have recommended to me that I see that movie and I haven't seen it yet what's it about so Raymond Navarro is from a little place on the Chilean coast there's a a point break nearby a left-hand point break called Punta de Lobos and uh, it'll handle a normal swell but the big thing about it is it'll handle a really really big swell it's one of the stops on the big wave world tour he came from there, but he then spent a bit of time in Hawaii. He got himself invited to the Eddie Aikau the last time it ran and got an amazing couple of waves in the Eddie Aikau. When was the last time that Eddie ran? That's been a few years now, huh? Yeah, I want to say 2011. Yeah, I think that's right. I'd 20, need to check it up. 2011 or 2012? 
I'm after <laughs> after misrepresenting the stats of the the snapper contest. I'm now slightly uh, nervous about just throwing my what my brain remembers as being the history of surf contests out there without double checking it online first. Anyway, the, the point being, he built himself a very good reputation as a, a big wave surfer. I think he's sponsored by. I think he was on Quicksilver. I think he may now be uh, full time Patagonia. But the big thing that he's now doing is he's used that international uh, stage to try and get a bit of traction. He's been protesting coastal development uh, oh, around Chile, and particularly at Punta de Lobos. Yeah, there's, there's, um, there's a controversy down there, isn't there? There's some developers trying to, trying yeah, to do some, some building. on. And, and is the developing they're going to do actually stop the wave being surfed? Do you I know? don't know if it'll stop the wave, but I think there's, there's worries, obviously, about pollution um, runoff, about changing the, the course of any rivers that are down there. I don't know. The, I haven't looked into the full details, but the movie I, I enjoyed a lot. Listeners, if you go to surfermag.com, slash features slash Ramon Navarro probably just type Fisherman's Son into Google I think it's the first thing that comes up can you is it that, you can watch the whole movie there I think, yeah, can't yeah you? it's a half hour movie that's being streamed so there's this huge swell down in the South Pacific at the moment and they've called the Big Wave World Tour event at Punta de Lobos it's, it's been called on for tomorrow Yes, they've given it the green light. So this podcast will probably come out just as it's uh, well, as it's starting to run, possibly. Probably as it's starting to run. I have a yeah. question. Is the guy that is featured in The Fisherman's Son, what's his name, Harry? Raymond Navarro. Raymond, yeah. Is he going to be in the contest? At so yeah, he, he is, is going to be in it, yes. That's going to be awesome. However, there is not going to be a live broadcast. They can't oh. get all the broadcast equipment down there in time, so they're going to be putting up web edits, effectively, throughout the day. Um, but there won't be a live feed from from the event. So even if you're listening to this a few weeks back, don't worry, you haven't missed anything. You can go online and find those web edits. Uh, but yeah, it's a really cool big wave event because whereas, it, you know how a lot of the, the big wave world tour events, it's like it's a big drop and then out onto the shoulder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a 150, 200 meter left-hander that's 25, 30 foot faces. It's, it's really cool. They're going to get some awesome footage from this. Yeah. It's going to be great. Did you guys see a GoPro movie that was going around recently about the last Mavericks contest? And it was and it was a movie specifically about how they got the GoPro yes. footage for the webcast. Yeah, I think I sent it over to you, didn't I? Yeah, maybe you sent it to me. It was so cool. And there was one bit where Mark Healy is caught on the inside with his GoPro camera on the board. And there's that bit of footage that I'm sure you guys have seen that did the rounds on, on the interwebs where his board gets sucked over the falls with the GoPro camera looking at the inside of the barrel as the board yeah. goes up. So really mm-hmm. amazing. And then, you know, they do the rescue of him and they, and in this little movie, it's just about like the story of the GoPro camera in a sort of a Wally yeah. kind of way. And they get the camera back on the boat and then the guy gets in the boat and he burns it to the shore and then they have like a winch and they, they hoist the bag of cameras up the cliff. Yeah, because well, the, the broadcast site is at the top, is of, at the the top of the cliff and then Mavericks. the guy runs over with the bag of GoPro cameras and has to throw it over a barbed wire fence and then another guy catches it and like hurts his hands on the camera and then rushes it in and uploads it. And then Joe Trapel is like, and hey, we've got the clips from the last wave and it's just right up there. But yeah. it, it was really cool having that little insight into it yeah it, it was really cool to see wasn't it and they had so many cameras out there you know 40 50 gopro cameras and they were rotating them between all the people and moving them back and forth it just shows how much production has to go into an event like that what do you guys think about the alternate system of judging the big wave tour rather than doing the contest format have you heard about this uh, well, I don't think there's anything official, is there? There's a podcast that you and me listen to. If you guys enjoy this, I think we've recommended it in the past, but Surf Splendor is another very good surf talk radio, uh, and they were talking about trying to judge big wave surfing in a slightly different light. So the, what their idea, 
in short listeners, and I think it actually makes a lot of sense, it's got some merit to it, is rather than having uh, contests trying to mimic the same format that we have with the WCT, where the surfers are going in the water for, usually with these big wave contests, it's more like an, a 40 minute or an hour long heat, and you'll yeah. have six or eight surfers in the water, because when the waves are bigger, you have longer lulls, you have bigger gaps between the waves, you have yeah. a, possibly a lower make rate on the waves, and their idea was that instead of doing it that way, which isn't particularly watchable, and as you pointed out when we were talking before the show, quite often the biggest waves of the year don't come in during those heats anyway. Yeah, so in fact, we've actually got the, the big wave awards, which used to be the Billabong XXLs. Those are now owned by the WSL as well. Uh, and those awards are going to be broadcast live this Friday. And so, yeah, I think that, that the idea was that maybe you could try and merge what is currently the big wave world tour and the double xl awards and kind of merge those two together and so that the the best performance over the course of the year you know the guy that's putting in the best edits and the 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 biggest waves over the course of the year is then a big wave world champion sort of regardless of of events and and i think that's actually a really really good way of doing it um because you know when you're looking for the ride of the year or the biggest wave that's going to be the best way of documenting it and and now that cameras are pretty ubiquitous i could see in the past you might have been saying well look a big wave rider now needs to have a camera crew with him to compete but everyone has anyway now because everyone's got cameras a lot of people certainly do i think the only because the interesting thing is you could then flip that around and apply it to standard surfing as well you know why why have this heat format with with small wave surfing well, so that, that's a really interesting point. And actually, the king of the Groms this year is being done that way, isn't is it? Is being done that way, yeah. They've just flipped over and that, that's going to be... In fact, I think that's a, a very youth-orientated 15-second Instagram clip, even. It's what's going to decide who, who wins and loses. Yeah, I'm surprised it's not sponsored by Snapchat. That's the next <laughs> thing to be the Snapchat king, king of the Groms. That would never work, though, because you'd send it and then it would be deleted. It would be gone. <laughs> and there, and there's something beautiful about This guy sent this really good clip, but uh, it's gone. It's gone. <laughs> we don't know who won. Well, that, I, I think that's interesting because uh, here's why I think it would work for big waves. But I, I think that the downside of doing it that way for the king of the Groms, which they are doing, is that you don't necessarily get how consistently the... Uh, surfers are making maneuvers the reason why i think it works for big waves is that when the competition is who's got the biggest wave or the you know the thickest heaviest wave then you're recording all the waves and you're not interested in consistency you're only judging who did get the biggest wave it doesn't matter if they only got one wave all year because that's what you're judging Well, no because there is there is still a judging format it's you know how deep they are on the peak how good the ride is how it's the big wave world tour is a different set of judging criteria to, to the xxl awards they even have the best wipeout for the big wave award so they're looking for them to wipe out <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true but I, I think with the king of the groms by contrast you're you're not trying to judge well maybe that they are but that, that would be a new way of doing it but i think generally you're not trying to judge who did the single biggest maneuver of the year what you're trying to judge is which young surfer is the the best up-and-coming young surfer and i think consistency is a big part of that whereas looking for who rode the biggest wave of the year consistency isn't a part of that you just want to know who rode the biggest wave mm-hmm. so yeah, i think that's maybe true I, c- I can see it from from quicksilver's perspective though what they want from a, a young athlete is someone that's going to produce content that's that's going to get people excited. So actually, they don't care if the person's inconsistent, as long as the person can go out and you know every two three months land something amazing and have a camera record it and upload it. Like that's perfect for Quicksilver. They don't need someone that can land a maneuver every single time they go for it. They need you know that flash in the pan like Kelly's big air in Portugal. Right. 
like that's that's what you need if you're a viral marketing yeah. perspective. Yeah. So so actually from from a, the perspective of the king of the groms, that's what they want from them. Yeah, they don't yeah, want consistency. True. Um, and I, I wonder whether with the big wave awards, I, I feel like there has to be some way of leveling a playing field because obviously there's a whole bunch of guys that are going to be getting regular access to Jaws every single time it gets good. And then other people are going to have to fly in for that. And then to put them up against each other almost seems a little unfair. Whereas if it's, all right, who did the best on this day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe you could have a, re- a retroactive judging criteria for it. You know, so there has been a really, really good day. And we're going we're gonna to count this as a, as a World Tour event. Yeah, I think that's, that's going to be really problematic as well, though, isn't it? Because people aren't going to know, is this day, do I, you know, there's a big swell coming in and they're thinking, do I want to go and surf, you know, A or B? Mm-hmm. They don't know which of those two venues is going to be classed as a World Tour event retrospectively. So that kind of brings its ho- a whole yeah, other host of true. problems with it as well. That's true, that's I, true. I do think that they, they do need to move it forwards, though, because, I mean, the three of us are massive surf Uber geeks who watch all the contests. But I mean, even us three, it's unlikely we're going to sit through a whole big wave event just because you have these 20, 30 minutes with nothing happening. Right. Yeah, you true. know, so I, I think it, they do need to look at it. I don't think you can approach the big wave surfing in quite the same way as the small wave. But like I've said before on the show, I think they're doing a really great job. It's just got a little ways to evolve. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Interesting. We've covered a few bits of news there in one rambling. Uh, so that was my fault. It's because I, had, no, no, I no. had a double coffee before we started <laughs> recording. So. I think no, it's we good. Should organic, <laughs> organic news delivery. <laughs> to hell with the headlines. We should go and to more detail about the layout of the King of the Grums. So the, the basic idea is that to give as many of these kids as a chance as possible, because the way it used to happen was they had this rolling circuit where there was a sort of little European mini circuit and a little American mini circuit, but you had to be able to turn up at that contest and compete in that contest. And obviously some kids couldn't make it. And then there's some kids that are really good surfers, but not competitive. So they've now opened it up to this online thing where... Um, all they've got to do, I think, is post a 15-second video to Instagram and uh, hashtag it King of the Groms. The best of those entries will then be taken. They'll be taken into a contest after that, right? Yes. So they'll pick the top. And it's, it's so, um, yeah, so Dane Reynolds, Craig Anderson and Jeremy Flores are going to pick the best 30 entries. Those 30 entries are then going to go into a public vote. Uh, oh, okay. So, so the, the, the media... 15 second clip you know we, I was talking before about how that doesn't really demonstrate consistency that's more of a like a, tri- a, a, a trials to decide who's actually going to go into the the contest right. well sort of yeah so it's it's then the public are then going to vote the 30 surfers down to 7 so and the last 7 will be flown by Quicksilver to a contest event they haven't announced where they will be taking the grams um, and to a super final which will be held on November 10th 2015 Oh, that's cool. So it's kind of like the old Billabong Challenge events. Do you remember them back in the 90s? They had the Billabong Challenge and the Billabong Junior Challenge. I mean, yeah, this vaguely, was I mean, it's a bit like the Rip Curl Grom Search as well. I mean, all the companies have had their own little quest to find the next big surfer. Well, I think it's a great idea. I like, I like this idea. The, the, the first surf movie, or one of the first surf movies I bought, I remember, was the Billabong Challenge where they were down in um, Nalu in WA. Mm-hmm. And it was when Oki was staging his comeback. And I remember it was Oki and Sonny Garcia and Kalani Robb and Rob Machado and Kelly Slater. And, uh, and then they released a, a Billabong Junior Challenge, which was a really similar format. And this was with teenagers like Andy Irons and Taj Burrow. <laughs> uh, and I remember Andy had a famous tantrum on the beach and snapped his board. And I remember thinking... Uh, 
yeah, this Taj and Andy guy, they look quite good. I'm sure they're going to go a long way. <laughs> yeah, but, there uh, we go. So the, the um, top 30 are going to be chosen on three different criteria: the best air, the best rail, and the best combo. What do you guys think about the public being judges? Well, do you remember when Carlos Munoz was being voted into the Hurley Pro last year? Yeah, yeah. and it turned and into a massive... And it, and it, was, it was just a massive... Uh, Costa Rica national pride thing and it was everyone like you know if you're Costa Rican you vote for Carlos Munoz which I get and that's fine and it's all fun but I think that it would be it, it would be better for individuals and for surfing if you were voting for who you thought was better but, but that's that's not how humans work I mean do you remember when Quicksilver did the same thing and they had that specialty event in between the semis and the final at the Snapper Rock event a few years ago and it was it was at Kira and it was Rabbit and Steph Gilmore and Craig Anderson yeah. and they all went out and it was a public vote as to who won yeah. and I think Rabbit was the only guy that got a barrel and came out of it and he didn't win that's what and I'm Craig, saying yeah. Craig Anderson won it like I think Steph got second and that was probably kind of deserved but Craig Anderson won it and didn't even surf that good and it was just a it was just a who's your favourite mm-hmm. yeah it was, right, it was right at that point when Craig Anderson was probably you know peak of his popularity yeah before <laughs> they let him start speaking on but that's films. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I mean the election's the same isn't it you know the American and UK elections it's a popularity contest it's nothing to do with what you promising to do in your manifesto do you, uh, just on a little sideline I don't know if you guys ever listened to a podcast called The Bugle with John Oliver and yeah, Andy Zaltzman. Very much so. And uh, they were just talking about the British election that's next month and Andy Zaltzman pointed out that the UK uh, MPs aren't allowed to spend, I think it's like £40,000 to run for a seat in Parliament. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> you know, John Oliver pointed out, like, that doesn't even cover the balloon budget at one <laughs> US, you know, rally. It's just so funny. Yeah. Time to move on to the big event, um, which obviously is the Drug Aware Pro at Margaret River, which has been taking place over the last couple of weeks. Very, very exciting contest. The men and the women competed out there. Three huge back-to-back swells coming in. Big, big waves at main break and some really exciting heats at the box. It was really cool seeing Taj Burrow do well. I always want to see Taj Burrow win every event that I ever watch. He's like number one, hands down. He's got his nice little chin from a few too many beers. And, <laughs> you know, he's just, he's the top 44 surfer. Or now, top how come you're so pro manage. that in Taj Burrow and anti it in Dane Reynolds? Because I, the thing is, I feel like if I sat down and had a beer with Taj Burrow, we'd just have a good old chat. Whereas I feel like if I sat down with Dane Reynolds, we'd just both shift uncomfortably in our seats and sort of <laughs> stare at the table. I don't, there's, no, there's no rhyme behind it. There's no rhyme or reason behind it. Um, but, you know, I really thought Taj was going to go on to do well. It, the reason I brought it up, though, isn't just because Taj is awesome. It was because it was interesting watching his quarterfinal heat where he paddled. It was a main break and it was big main break. It was one of the biggest days. It wasn't the big wild day early on where that, you know, there was those, some crazy big drops going on, actually. Mm-hmm. But it was in the quarterfinals. And he was out and I think a 6-1, which is obviously a step up board for Taj. But his turns were still not looking super smooth. And you know, we talked about board size on the show a lot before in terms of mm-hmm. catching waves and the ability to get over to waves of breaking. But one thing I don't know if we've talked about a lot is when you're riding bigger waves, particularly open fa- face waves, as opposed to barreling waves, you really want that bigger board so that you're, you're, you're holding your speed and you're doing a long, smooth you arc. Want, you turn. want that longer, straighter rail. Exactly. Yeah. Rather than if you're undergunned, yeah, you might catch the wave and you might have to do your turns, but your turns are going to be more kind of a, a jerky and less of a, you're going to keep less speed as you go through them. Yeah. And, and that was what we saw from Taj. And to his credit, 
he I'm not sure if he broke his board or creased it or if he just decided to swap, but he stepped up to a 6-6 halfway through his heat and went out and you could just see how much better he was surfing. So if, if, you're, if you're interested, listeners, and you want to see the benefit of surfing a bigger board in bigger waves, go and watch the Taj's quarterfinal heat. And well, just, and then the opposite then from Kelly. Well, that's what I found really interesting. So, yeah, do, do you want to talk so, us well, through so what Ke- Kelly? So Kelly then went out on a 6-3, I think it was. Which was the ne- next heat straight next afterwards. Heat went out on a 6-3, which again is a big board for him. He's normally on a 5-9 as a standard board. But with surfing, it looked a little bit undergunned, but then creased or snapped that board. And his only backup that he had was a 6-1. Yeah. And it, apparently he had a bigger board at home and he just, just hadn't brought it to the Just decided side. not to bring it. And, and when Harry says that he was undergunned, you know, what we would see apart from the shortness of the turns is taking off really late as the lip's breaking. So he gets to the bottom of the wave and is then stuck behind the white water. Or actually, in his case, he airdropped one pretty ferociously, which I think yeah. is how he broke the board. Yeah. And, and pulling into a barrel, but being so late getting into it and finding it so difficult to get the speed going that he doesn't stand a chance of coming out of it, uh, which also happened to him in that heat. Uh, you can also see this example in semifinals with Courtney Conalog and Malia Manuel. Yeah. Uh, they were chatting about that too. Courtney was on a lot bigger board than Malia and she was struggling to get into the waves, almost having to, like you said earlier, air drop down. And Courtney Conalog was pulling into barrels and doing big wrapping turns. So it really benefited her throughout the contest to have a bigger board too. Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. I mean, after Snapper and Bells being such a disappointment, it was so cool to see some proper surfing. You know, Man turns. Really, yeah, big, <laughs> powerful turns. I mean, it was just amazing. I mean, there was, the, there was the contest at the box was fantastic to watch. And then the, the contrast between those waves and main break was really exciting. Yeah, now, we, interesting, we had a, an email from actually one of our former clients a couple of days ago asking about our thoughts on the, the box versus the main break. This is a friend of ours called Isho. He says... I hope you're discussing the DragAware Pro. You touch on the decision to run heats at the box in addition to the main break. I didn't see all the heats, but it was not clear to me why they chose to run at the box other than the fact that it's a gnarly wave. In my opinion, it would have been fairer to have all the heats on the same break, surfing waves that are as similar as possible to discover who is best. Both Fanning and Medina would have been huge favourites to win their heats against Jay Davis if those heats had been main break. And by surfing the box, it could have really hurt their world title hopes. So th- there's two things I think that are worth mentioning there. One is, it, I, th- well, I think it's a good point, and it's really nice to hear from Isho. It Hi, is. Isho. <laughs> One is that it depends what you're trying to judge. I mean, if you're trying to judge how good people are at main break, then, you know, run it at main break. If the premise of a surf contest is you're trying to see who's the best surfer at a specific surf spot, then that kind of makes sense. But I wouldn't say that that necessarily is what the point of the contest is. Well, no, is. but at the same time, because the box, so that for, for those of you guys that don't know, the break at uh, Margaret River is this big bay. And uh, on one side of the bay, there's this big open ocean sort of a wave that rolls through. And on the other side, there's this flat slab of rock that the water just sucks off. And it's this horrible mutant barrel with a dry slab of rock underneath. It's a very, very technical wave to surf. And it only works for a very small window in the tide. So they were never able to do an entire round of competition at the box. They would have to do... Uh, say you've got 12 heats in round one, they would only be able to run six to eight of those heats at the box, and then they'd have to flick over to the main break to finish off, which means that you then had this sort of 
roll of the dice as to whether you were going to go out and surf this very, very technical, tricky barreling wave or you were going to surf this big open ocean wave. And obviously, you know, guys that have local knowledge like Jay Davis and Josh Kerr, who've surfed the box all of their life, and it is a a very specific skill set to surf that, suddenly have a massive advantage if the roll of the dice puts them on that wave. Yeah, so I mean, the box listeners is at best looks like a reverse mirror image of Chopu, but actually it's different in as far as it's got a couple of steps in the face. And also you kind of have to take off behind it rather than, you know, with Chopu where you take off as the whole and thing it's is, such is a di- wedging. It was an amazing to watch, isn't it? Because you see the best surfers in the world. Really struggling. Falling. And, you know, most of the heats were one-point rides, one-point rides where the guys are taking off and getting absolutely destroyed I mean just ground up on the rocks I was gonna say I think it's kind of interesting because if you watch the tour and you watch these top 32 you don't really hear much of Jay Davis but this contest he was putting out world titlers world titlers world titlers I like (laughs) world titlers and he's kind of like making a name for himself surfing this really technical hard wave so maybe Gabriel and Mick Fanning need to surf it more yeah I mean I think that the the, the addressing Isho's point is that the guys were surfing heats against other guys surfing the same wave, which is essentially the point. I mean, these guys go all the way through the year surfing a ton of different types of waves, and the point of being world champion is that you can deal you with the all best these. Overall. Yeah, you can deal with all these conditions. I mean, certainly if you know one surfer was at the box and one was at main break, which sounds ridiculous, but actually at Bells you have the Rincon Bells Bowl problem, which is you know something that does happen, which is sort of comparable then, you know, that's different. But yeah, I mean, they're surfing against people surfing that same wave. The other thing that I think is interesting is going back to Medina, because he actually made some comments before paddling out of the box, didn't he? Yeah, he he said that it it was going to put him, you know, by running the heats in the box, it was going to put him at a disadvantage. Because? Because he's goofy foot and he'd be on his backhand and it is a notoriously hard wave to surf on your backhand. And I feel like Nat Young really just showed him how well <laughs> you can do as a goofy footer. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that said, Nat Young's heat, uh, did Nat Young in at least one round, I think, was at main break instead of at the box. Yeah, but I he, think he, just the way that the heat draw went. He did end up surfing some heats at the box and he did very well yeah. at the box. But I think in at least one of the rounds, the roll of the dice put him on main break instead of at the box. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of waves on tour that advantage natural footers and some that advantage goofy footers. I think most right-hand point breaks, as in snappers and bells, help backside goofy footers, surfers, do better. Like, almost every final has had a backside I don't know. I mean, I, I think Nat Young is at a, a very good advantage in that most surfers find their toe side, their forehand rail, mm-hmm. much easier to surf. Um, but Nat Young has grown up surfing steamer lane which is a you know actually a reasonably technical right hander in order to surf so he's grown up with an incredibly good backhand yeah um and actually matt wilkinson is the same where uh, you know all the events that you see matt wilkinson do well at are actually where he's surfing on his backhand well no that's not true and i'm thinking very well at uh, fiji and um chopu doesn't he Mm -hmm. yeah he did bianca button dog button dog yeah bianca button dog And she does amazing on her backhand. Like, I think most of, most of the surfers backhand. are capable of surfing very well on their backhand. I think, I think the assumption that forehand is easier, I, th- I think is a little bit of a myth. I yeah. think that when you're trying to hit the lip, right, we, you, the three of us remember when we were first trying to go and hit the lip, it's much easier doing it on your backhand, 
right? You know, you, you go up, you approach the lip, and it's easier to hit the lip on your backhand because you're already looking back down the wave. Wait, so it's easier to re-enter. The yeah, wave sorry. So it's easier to backhand. Yeah, it's easier to do those. the first time you do those sort of re-entries off the lip, and yeah. they feel good, and you're like, yeah, I threw a bit of spray, got my lips through the lip. That's going to be on. Your I would backhand. say it's harder to get the board up there on your backhand. Mm-hmm. So I think backhand cutbacks are easier. So yeah, that's true. So I think that on your forehand when you go up and, and hit the lip you've got a wider variety of types of turn that you can do yeah so it, it you know i think it's harder to hit the lip actually on your forehand than on your backhand once you're up there but i think that you've got a wider variety of maneuvers so i think sometimes when you see for example a snapper and i actually slightly disagree with you jesse i think that not many goofy footers win at snapper i mean i think mick lowe won it i don't know if Oki's I, I, don't won it. I don't think so a lot have won it i think they've been up in the semi-finals and quarterfinals but i think th- what you notice is you see the forehand surfers really changing the way they surf they're doing different types of turn it'll be a layback then it'll be a snap yeah. then it'll be a wrap the backhand surfers they're kind of more just going up and hit, down hit 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 yeah hit. and i think something that really sets gabriel medina apart is he does have this ability to really do different types of backhand top turns he has little tweaks and hand positions and arm positions so his backhand surfing looks fresh and exciting someone like an amazing backhand surfer like wilco or owen wright is still kind of doing a lot of that same top to bottom right, surfing. No so variety. it's the variety is not there you know i think that on the whole natural footers are favored a little bit mm-hmm. as we go around the world because a lot of those waves that are on your forehand that are the long waves where you want to be doing multiple turns, you've got that advantage. So J-Bay, Snapper, Bells, and actually even Margaret's because most of the scoring waves are rights there when you're talking yep. about the turns. And to and an extent, Trestles, because the, the right hand yep. is a, a slightly higher performance wave than the left. And mm-hmm. then, you know, although we were just talking about how the box is more difficult to surf on your backhand, that's not true for all barreling waves. And now this is outside my personal skill set, but... You know, you hear a lot of pro surfers talking about surfing chopu and pipe on your backhand actually being easier. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think on the whole, natural footers probably have a little bit of an advantage. But I think that Gabriel Medina, you know, sort of complaining that the wave favoured natural footers, it doesn't really help. And it just doesn't make him look very good. It's, and it's not a good way to it's not start a, a world champion, you know, the defense of your world title. It's not a good life approach. Especially yeah. after, like... <laughs> him cursing on camera in the first contest too like yeah he wants calm to be a little down careful. there gabriel <laughs> yeah take a deep breath yeah you, you want to be in it for the long haul yeah. um so anyway there, there were a few little events that happened we had a couple of injuries over the course of margaret river as well uh geordie smith fell both of these events actually in a free surfs geordie fell and cut his foot on a rock and seems to have done a little bit of damage no word on whether he's going to be at rio and then Steph Gilmore went out and she took off a little late on a wave and tried to sort of pencil dive into the water and turns out it was a lot shallower than she thought and she's fractured her leg landing on the bottom um, and she has, as of yesterday, pulled out of rear. Was, was she, that? She did. Yeah, she ended pulled, up pulling out. Yeah, she's pulled out of rear. No. Oh, that's a shame because the, the listeners, all of the male surfers, have the opposite opportunity to drop two of the events through the year that they feel were the weakest. So although yes. there's 12 events, they're actually scored on the top 10. And I, is yes. that the same for the women? Uh, the women can drop one event, I believe. Okay, they have a slightly so, shorter schedule. So Steph Gilmore has already had to drop Margaret's, and I guess she'll have to drop Rio too. So does that potentially mean she's out of the world title race unless she does phenomenally well? Well, it does mean that she's going to rely on the other people in the title race to have other bad events that they can drop. So, you know, if, if someone comes out and has a consistent year, it's going to be very hard for Steph to catch up. Did Steph do that injury going right at Margaret's? 
Do you know? She didn't. The interview that I saw with her, she didn't say where it was. It was while the contest was on, so I assume it was somewhere else up the coast. Mm-hmm. Jesse, you're a woman that likes to smash their face into the bottom of the ocean at every <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> You know this that was, this was legs. How did you how did you feel about watching them go right and there's that closeout part at the end of the right hander at Margaret's where you can see the rock bubbling out of the water? I'm gonna relate it to NASCAR where you're like hoping they're gonna wreck at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Courtney Conalog came really close to hitting the rocks at one point, um, but no, I yeah they were really going for it. Yep. I, I actually spent quite a lot of time down in Margaret River as a youth and. Uh, going right and knowing that rock bit at the end psychologically used to really mess with me because you do one turn and the first turn you're just like yeah I'm just thinking about surfing and then you go for your second turn and in the back of your mind it starts to be like I wonder did I do like two or three pumps like how close am I to the rocks and then the third turn I did one where I felt like I was pretty close to the rocks and after that I just couldn't do a third turn anymore yeah most of the watching the girls final is just two turns and then they would kick out the back so maybe that's why or no no they were doing two turns into the closeout um, pretty, I think it was, really it was just so big there that it was it wasn't running quite the same as it does when it's smaller, when it's smaller and yeah. going back to the women's event I, it was great to see the girls on big board you know six fives and six fours big aggressive turns I think one of the best turns I saw all contest actually was Silvana Lima yeah who's four foot eleven four nine she's four four nine nine. wow she's little but she took off on this monster of a wave bottom turned came round and then went up and did this huge just grab rail not even a cutback like a grab rail hack at the top of the wave like through as much spray as any of the men have thrown like, well, you say monster of a wave, but she's four foot nine, so yeah, it's probably a, it probably wasn't that big. <laughs> no, it looked pretty cool. Yeah, I was I was very pleased this, to see how much the girls were charging. There's a, a great photo. I think Matt Biolas posted it the other day of Malaya Manuel yes. doing a big sort of floater entry. I was just going to talk about her. Actually, she does really good in big waves. I like you said, Harry. All the girls were just charging. It's so good to see them on bigger boards as well and yeah i totally agree yeah that's pretty cool so bearing in mind that we're seeing more and more of the girls charging mm-hmm. uh, compared to maybe five or six years ago mm-hmm. you know there's we i've talked about laura Anniver's instagram where you can see her surfing some huge waves and tyler wright you know famously a few years ago was charging big p pass and yep. carissa moore's been towing it at jaws what do you think about seeing the girls chopo event running again would you guys like to see that so excited Yes. Yeah, I mean, they're at Fiji this year. Last year, they got kind of pushed out a little bit. But I know that the guys that are providing the money for a lot of the the WSL are very pro pushing the women's tour. I think the girls are too. I think Carissa Moore has like actually... No, no, no. Obviously, the girls would love to go out in the best conditions generally. But the tour actually want, the WSL as an organization, want to push the women's because they see more options to monetize the women's tour than they do with the men's tour. Yeah, well, I'm sure that that's right. I mean, you know, we've talked uh, about it on the show before, but look at yeah. Alana Blanchard has got more followers on every form of social media than Kelly Slater has. Yeah, uh, in fact, between Alana Blanchard and Anastasia Ashley, if you add those two up, it's more than the top 10 men combined. Her twerking <laughs> video just sent her to the top, didn't it? <laughs> that was marketing genius. That can't yeah. have been an accident. I know what I'm doing Do next. Do you think, no, I wonder, you know, I think that having the girls out in Chopu as well would be really good just because, you know, from a marketing point of view, because Tahiti is by far the most photogenic stop on tour. It is. You know, the water's clear, the mountains, the light's amazing, the waves are amazing. I mean, look at the, uh, again, something we've talked about on the show before, but Morgan Mason did those couple of videos of Frankie Herrera out yeah. in Chopu that are beautiful. 
Yeah, I, he just shot Quincy Davis too. She's from Montauk, New York, and she just went out to Chopu, and we haven't seen footage yet from it. But. I think we should do another Surf Simply trip out to Chopu one day. Anyway, we'll talk about that after Maybe the show. Um, so just as a little wrap-up for Margaret's then, um, just to fill everything in, on the women's tour, Courtney Conalog beat Carissa Moore in the final. And on world tour standings, that leaves Carissa Moore in first place with Courtney Conalog in second and Steph Gilmore in third. And the men's tour, Adriano D'Souza beat John John Florence in the final, uh, which leaves Adriano a long way in the lead on the men's tour over Mick Fanning and Felipe Toledo. Now, I was told off the other day for calling him Adriano D'Souza. And I was told it's Adriano de Souza. Adriano de Souza. So there we go. My apologies, Adriano. I really enjoyed watching the final. You can go onto the WSL uh, YouTube page and you can see sort of 15-minute highlights of each of the heats, which is really mm-hmm. cool. They're basically just the heats live, but they've just cut out the bits where nothing's happening in between. Watching that final between John John and Adriano is a really amazing rail surfing from both of them. Mm-hmm. I actually preferred the way John John surfed and I think he was surfing better but I agree that Adriano won the heat which sounds kind of odd John John's turns he sort of throws his hips and tweaks the end of his turns in a way that none of the other surfers on tour do yeah and it just looks cool it just looks really amazing he didn't land the end section on a couple of his waves and so I agree that Adriano who to me looks a lot like he's basing his forehand big wave uh, turns on Taylor Knox, who's another amazing surfer. But uh, I mean, I agree that he won it, but I can understand that you would want to claim when you win a world title event. I would. I would probably claim for like probably five or 10 seconds. I would really let myself go, a lot of fist pumping. Did you notice that Adriano D'Souza was still claiming when he came in on the jet ski up the stairs and when Chelsea uh, was trying to interview him he was lying on his back on the ground still double fist pumping in the air <laughs> I, f- I really like watching rugby as opposed to soccer because I like the way they just put the ball down over the line they score their try and then stoically with a poker face they jog back to the halfway line I, I just think it's very very cool <laughs> to take nothing away from his victory I feel like not claiming is the new claiming you're listening to the surf simply podcast so with Margaret's wrapped up, we need to have a quick look at the fantasy surfer scores. So on the WSL League, our coach Andre actually won the event at, at Margaret River, yeah, followed Andre. by me in second place. But Asher is still in first place overall with our podcast team in third. So actually we're doing quite well on the men's event. With the women, Ben, the Oracle Kim took first place with Kenneth in second and Andre in third. So Andre doing really rather well, and uh, that's the same ranks overall. On the Surfer Magazine, which we don't have a team in, but Tiago Diaz, you won the men's over Jesse, and Andy Hartlib, you won the women's again over Jesse. So Jesse was just laughing at me because overall I'm in 22nd position in the Surf Simply podcast group. You are. But uh, where are you, Jesse? I'm in 25th. You're 25. That's That's different from the other. You can't just flip-flop between Fancy Surfer on the WSL and Surfer Magazine. I love that quote from Matt Wilkinson from last year when he he kept doing really badly in the contests yeah. and then the the commentator said you know he was asking him about his performance and he and he said yeah I'm just trying to stay as low down as I can so that I'm always paired against Callie Slater in the first round to help keep my ratings up on the webcast. <laughs> okay, so we need to pick our team for Rio. We've got beach breaks at Rio coming up, so we need two athletes from Tier A. We've got Adriano de Souza. Mick Fanning, Felipe Toledo, Julian Wilson, Nat Young, Taj Burrow, Josh Kerr, John John Florence. Well, you've, you've got to be liking Felipe Toledo's chances at surfing a beach break in Brazil. Yeah. 
There was actually a study that came out a few years ago showing that when soccer teams played in their hometown, they actually had measurably higher testosterone levels. Interesting. And I Adriana D'Souza is in first right now, so he might be fueled by the fire as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Josh Kerr, I feel, is always someone who's pretty dangerous in the sort of onshore punchy beach breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but my feeling would be to go for an all-Brazilian duo at the top of Adriano and Felipe. Adriano and Felipe, I'm down with that. I feel the same. Okay, so tier B, Kelly Slater, Geordie Smith, Owen Wright, Miguel Pupu, Jeremy Flores, Sebastian Zietz, Joel Parkinson, Gabriel Medina, Glenn Hall, Judson Andre, Italio Ferreira, Matt Wilkinson, Michelle Perez, B. Derbage, Wiggly Dentis, and Freddie P. And apparently Miguel Pupu is actually the correct, correct pronunciation of his name. Apparently, that's Good. how you say it in Brazil. I like picking surfers that I that I like and I really want to see win because then I get more excited watching the contest. Mm-hmm. Kelly Slater is going to do good. Do you think he is? Yes. He hasn't done very well in any of the other events. He hasn't yeah. done. I feel like he's not the sure thing that he has been in previous years. Okay, you guys don't have to add him, but I'll add him to mine. My feeling is Gabriel Medina should probably go in there. Yeah. Are we going to have any non-Brazilians in our <laughs> pick for Rio? No, we're going to yeah. We're going to go all Brazil. No, I feel, I mean... No, I'm, and I'm not. I'm not just saying. Champion. I'm not just saying this to be silly, but also Jadson Andre. I mean, I know he's Brazilian as well, <laughs> but you know, he 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 does good down there. He's won the event before, mm-hmm. but then you know, watching him when we when we saw him surf in France, he was phenomenal. And he's yeah. obviously taking competitive surfing very seriously. He's training hard. He's focused. He's non-emotional. Okay, let's pick someone. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go Gabriel Medina. Yeah. Now we get to pick like four, I think. Yeah, we've got four of these to choose. So, so Gabriel Medina. I mean, I do feel like Kelly Slater is a worthwhile pick because he'll probably make it to round three at least. That's what I'm and like, saying. And that's, that's kind of, just from a tactical viewpoint, I don't know whether Kelly's focused enough to make it through to the finals at the moment, but I do think just based on experience, he will probably make it through to, the, uh, to round three. Watch out, number 22. Coming for you. <laughs> what about Kelly Slater in there for uh, sure? Yeah, I think I'd put Kelly in there, Gabriel Medina. If it was me, I'd put in Miguel Pupu and Jadson Andre. Let's go with what uh, Bruce. All right, Jadson and Miguel it is. Okay, tier C. Uh, two of these guys Adam Melling, Kolohe Andino, Matt Banting, Brett Simpson, Ricardo Christie, Kai Otten, Keanu Asing, Adrian Buchan, Dusty Payne, CJ Helpgood. Well, it's, it's a little bit of a roll of the dice here, isn't it? I mean, I've, I've got a feeling like Kolohe and Dino, he might be yeah. coming into his own Matt Banting again. I don't know why I feel like, because it's a beach break, I sort of feel like the younger guys that are bendy and have guys. got, yeah, have got more of the air game and, and then a, that it's going to be kind of favoring them. If, you know, if we were talking massive, big point break and barreling waves, I'd be looking at the older guys and the experience. But I so then maybe Dusty Payne? Yeah. I like that idea. All right, let's throw Dusty Payne and Kolohe and Dino in there. All right, let's do it. Come it's on, done. guys. Should we do the women's? Right, okay, tier A. Woo! Carissa, Courtney, or Tyler? This is a tough one. Uh, I'd, I'd put Carissa more in there. She's been surfing really, really well. Mm-hmm. I feel like Tyler Wright can compete with Carissa more. Well, she could compete with her in anything, but I think like Tyler Wright's strength more lies, again, in the, the bigger waves, the open-face hacks. I feel like Carissa Moore has got a better... It's perhaps a slightly better technical game in smaller onshore waves. I don't know why I'm assuming the waves in Rio aren't going to be any good. Are either of you assuming the same thing? I'm assuming that they're going to be smaller too. Okay. Tier B. Sally Fitzgibbons, Lakey Peterson, Tatiana Weston-Webb, Malaya Manuel, Sylvan Lima, Coco Ho, Joanne DeFay, Bianca Buttendag, Dimity Store. Well, I would like to put Sylvana Lima in there. What do you think, Jesse? I think that's a great idea. She did so well at Margaret Rivers. 
Okay, so then second, Malaya Manuel, Coco Ho. Well, Sally Fitzgibbons is just a good, solid competitor. You know, she she'll she'll play it safe. She'll do her turns. Again, if I'm it sorry, was I'm sure Sally Fitzgibbons. I'm sure she's no, lovely and she works really hard. Her surfing just doesn't excite me that much. You know. No, and she does good in small stuff. If it was bigger, I would say Tatiana's, and it's a it's a left, so she would do well, M- Malia. But Sally Fitzgibbons and Silvana Lima for sure. And then in tier three, tier C, Keely Andrew, Nikki Van Dyke. Alyssa Quizon, Sage Erickson, Laura Anover. I don't have any strong feelings about any of these. Nikki Van Dyke. Nikki Van Dyke? Yeah. Done. We're all set. If anyone would like to come and play against us, go to the WSL website, join the Fantasy Surfer, and uh, we have a clubhouse called Surf Simply Podcast. I think we should have some sort of prize for the winner of the Surf Simply Podcast group at the end of the year. Ooh, what do you guys think? I love prizes. You get to go horseback riding with Jesse. <laughs> That would be the best prize in the whole world, to my secret spot. <laughs> to your new secret trail. So normally at this point in the podcast, I would do the forecast for the next couple of weeks and the contest roundup. But we've sort of made a decision over the last couple of weeks that maybe they don't work out so well, that the, the format doesn't work so well in the podcast. So we're actually going to drop that. Mostly, I think it's just because <laughs> I have too much coffee and talk a lot and then we end up running out of time anyway. Well, that's true. Over a two-week period, you can pretty much guarantee there's going to be some waves everywhere. So it becomes quite repetitive. So anyway, we're going to drop that format. We've got a few ideas for what we're going to fill the space with in future, but I thought maybe we could have a quick, a very quick listener email just to end this on. You had a a nice email from uh, someone the other day, Rue. So a couple of people actually mentioned on Twitter about being comboed and they were a bit confused as to what it was. I just thought it was worth mentioning. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know already. In surf contests, you get marked out of 10 on all of your waves, but only the two highest scoring waves get added together. So you always have a score out of 20 in a heat. Usually what you'll see on the board is that, you know, surfer B needs an eight point wave in order to take the lead. But if, for example, one surfer has got a nine and another nine, they've got a total of 18. And if the other surfer has got a six point wave, then the highest they can score is a 10, which would give them 16, which means they need to get two waves in order to take the lead. They're going to need to get two waves of, of nine or higher. So that gets abbreviated to them needing a combination of scores and that gets abbreviated to them being comboed. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much what it means. So I was also contacted, uh, this was actually a couple of weeks ago, just before I went to New York, by a guy called uh, Jonas Brunert. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. He's actually a German guy, but he's based in Afghanistan and he is the founder of the uh, Afghan Surf Association. And he's been trying to raise some money for the first Afghan Surf Championships, which the idea was to run it in Irisera in Portugal. I was about to say, because Afghanistan's landlocked, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a really cool thing that he's doing. We had a little back and forth and and I put his, um, you know, I put it out on the surfing page and, and all that kind of stuff on Facebook. And uh, unfortunately, they ran out of time for their Indiegogo campaign. They were trying to raise $11,000 to run it. And it finished on April 12th, and they only managed to raise uh, $6,000. So they did pretty well. But it's a really cool thing that he's doing. You know, he's just trying to, obviously, Afghanistan is a sort of war-torn country and, and bringing any, any activity to the kids there where they're getting them, to, getting them out and getting them to see the world and do other things is awesome. 
I'm sure that he will give it another go, and uh, when he does, we'll we'll be telling you guys that you can jump in and offer some support. But uh, in the meantime, if you just type Afghan Surf Championships into YouTube, you can see the little promo video he made about what they're trying to do. It's really cool. Just thought yeah, that was cool. thought that was yeah, a cool thing. Awesome. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is about all we've got time for this week. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the show, and I hope you enjoy over the coming weeks. We've got the Big Wave Awards this weekend. Uh, look out for the web edits of the Punta de Lobos event because there's no live webcast on that. But there should be a live webcast of the Oakley Pro at Trestles that's taking place over the course of this week. So lots of things to keep your eyes on. We're going to be back in a couple of weeks' time. And actually, we're going to be broadcasting to you from Nicaragua. Yeah, we're driving up for our annual Surf Simply keg fest up at Player Colorado's in Nicaragua. So we'll be lugging all of the podcast kit up there. And are we going to podcast from sitting on the beach in Nicaragua? Yeah, yeah, I, think, I, hope I think so. we should try. See I if we, we can get the soothing that. sound of breaking waves in the background. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ladies and gentlemen, take care. If you want to get in touch with us, podcast at surfsimply.com will find us. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody. That was the Surf Simply podcast from the Surf Simply Coaching Resort in Costa Rica. For more about Surf Simply's video coaching courses for experienced surfers and technical coaching for entry level surfers, go to surfsimply.com.